Hey guys, my name is Wale and I'm the lead of Imprint Church. And I want to thank you so much for tuning into our Sunday service. If this is your first time, then please subscribe to our YouTube channel, Imprint TV, or you can follow us on Imprint Podcasts. God bless, guys.
trust you, Jesus. Name above all names, all I need to be saved. I can trust you.
We believe the Christian life is a partnership between God and the Christian family, the church. God is the source of all things, including our money, and we give back to him in the form of tithes and offerings. This enables the church to undertake the work to which God has called us, extending the kingdom and giving to his name. You can give via bank transfer or at weareimprint.org give. Hey guys, welcome back to my kitchen. And it's weird that this might be the new norm for a few more months, but I'm so thankful for technology that we get to carry on our services. And actually, a few weeks ago, when this whole quarantine season started happening, someone in the community messaged me and said, hey, Wally, I just want you to know that I'm praying for you, especially for strength and wisdom, because I'm sure you've never had to lead a church through a pandemic before. And when he said that, I actually laughed and I said, yep, it's true, I've never <laughs> led a church through a pandemic before. Um, but however, a pandemic or something similar is actually not new to church history, especially if we look uh, through the scriptures, and it's definitely not new to God. So this week especially, I've just been looking through scriptures and I wanted to see what was God's perspective and even how did God's people respond when they were in situations like ours, where there was um, a pandemic, where there was pestilence everywhere or even a great famine. So I'd like us to start in Joel chapter 1. So I'm going to be starting from verse 2 and it says, so actually let me give some context. So Joel is actually recounting a time where in Israel there was a great swarm of locusts. So these were insects that were literally devouring and um, eating everything. And it basically meant that their crops were being destroyed and essentially their resources were no more. And this is, it's kind of crazy that we read this in scripture because this has actually happened right now in East Africa, where I feel like, where I think I read a report that 25 million people are at threat because the swarm of locusts are literally destroying their crops. So this is actually happening right now, but let's just see what Joel has to say about this. So it says this, verse two, hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen all who have lived in the land. In all your history has anything like this happened before? Tell your children about it in the years to come and let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. After the cotton locusts finished eating the crops, the swarming locusts, took what was left. After they become the hopping locusts and, the, and, the, and then stripping the locusts too. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Well, or you wine drinkers, or the grapes are ruined and all your sweet wine is gone. And a vast army of locusts has invaded my land. The terrible army, too numerous to count. Its teeth are like lion's teeth. Its fangs are like those of a lioness. It has destroyed my grapevines and ruined my fig trees, stripping their bank and destroying it, leaving the branches white and bare. Weep like a bride dressed in black, mourning the death of her husband, for there is no grain or wine to offer at the temple of the Lord. So the priests are mourning, the ministers of the Lord are weeping, the fields are ruined, the land is stripped bare, the grain is destroyed, the grapes have shriveled and the olive oil is gone. So yes, this really just paints the picture of how severe this, this swarm of locusts was. And as a result, 
what Joel caused God's people to do. He basically caused um, for God's people and the people in Israel to repent to the Lord and to fast and to cry out to God. And in Joel chapter 2 verse 13, it actually says this. It says, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. So I'll read that one more time. It says, rend your heart and not your garments. Rend the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. So, so Joe was essentially saying that do not just give in to religious performance. Like that's not what the Lord is looking for in this in this season where he's just looking for people who just act like they are for him or act um, or just do their religious activities. Joel is essentially saying that let's be authentic with this. Let's actually repent and turn from those things that are unpleasing to the Lord. And this actually relates to another scripture in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, if my people who are, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So what is our responsibility as a church? Our responsibility, if, if we're to take this um, as a model, our responsibility as a church is to pray. It's to pray, pray, pray. It's to pray for the deliverance of our nation, of our city, of our homes um, from this virus, um, from what the media is calling this invisible enemy and also the fear associated with it. And we can see this even in the book of Acts, um, especially when the children of God were calling for the deliverance. But in this context, in Acts chapter 12, they were calling for the deliverance of Peter. So Peter was kept in prison and the Bible says that the church prayed earnestly. Other translation says that the church um, prayed fervently. And um, one of my favourite translations actually said, the church entered a season of intense intercession. And I remember even last week, my sister said that she's never prayed so much in her life, like the way she's prayed, especially in this particular season. And I love the example of King Jehoshaphat. So essentially, King Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. And someone told him that a vast army is coming towards you guys and is going to attack you guys. And the Bible says that he was afraid and set his face to seek Yahweh. I'll read that one more time. It says he was afraid and set his face to seek Yahweh. So because of his fear, um, what I love is that Jehoshaphat did not just remain there in his fear, but he went to go and seek Yahweh. He went to go and inqu inquire to the Lord. And my prayer is that especially in this time, especially in a time of uncertainty where it feels like there's limited resources or it seems like people are perhaps are falling really, really ill and we hear crazy statistics, that we will seek the face of Yahweh, that we will use this time in order to grow in intimacy and to even hear the perspective of the Lord, which will build our faith. And we even pray bold prayers because of the faith that we've received from just hearing what God has to say on these matters. And especially, um, this could be a time where it's really easy for us to retreat. It's, it's easy for us to develop coping mechanisms and to either deal with our fear or, can I just say, to deal with our boredom. And I love Ike's talk um, that she actually gave a few weeks ago where she said, um, we need to be watch, watchful and we need to be prayerful. And I think that's reality because 
this could be a time where for some of us, we can actually feel ourselves, um, perhaps due to, like I said, the fear or perhaps due to boredom, we can feel ourselves um, going back to our old habits, going back to our old habits to give us a sense of relief or perhaps just, um, just something to do. And my petition um, tonight is that instead of going back to our old habits, instead of actually going back to those things that are familiar, that would actually, we saw as giving us a sense of pleasure or a sense of relief, that we'll go back to the Lord. And the reason why we need to go back to the Lord is because God, there's one thing that he specializes. He specializes in deliverance. Like his track record is amazing. This is the same God that delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians, the Midianites, the Jebusites, and all the other ites. He delivered Daniel from the lion's den. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. In the time of Joseph, he rescued his people from, the, from a famine. Um, God delivered Moses from an infant side, and Jesus delivered us from the greatest pandemic of all, which was our sin and shame. And also, um, I, I would like us to look into Exodus as well you know, where it talks about in particular where the Lord actually led his people through through the wilderness, through a time of, of uncertainty especially. And I just want to see how the Lord dealt with his people. So, one thing, um, I, I believe it's in Exodus chapter 13, the Bible talks about how the Lord um, led the Israelites through the desert place. And he led them um, through the desert place, um, especially because he didn't want them to just, to feel the need or to feel the pressure to just turn back to Egypt. And the Bible says that the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this actually reminds me of um, a funny situation that I was in a few years ago, where my friend and I were taking the train, we were going to a Christian camp, and we literally had all of our tent gear around us and our suitcase. And we were just catching up, we were just, yeah, we were just talking and talking and talking. And we didn't notice that the train had stopped at, our, at the place where we needed to get off. And I remembered people just walking past me and getting off the train. And, but we were just so engrossed in our conversation and I looked outside um, the window and I saw our station stop and I literally said, bro, we need to go, this is our stop and we ran off the train, we quickly got our stuff and we literally just ran off the train. And a few weeks later, he said to me, and well, I was just thinking about that situation on the train and I was like, yeah, what about it? And he said that what I found interesting is that I remember you saying, it's our stop, we need to get off and I didn't question you. And I was just asking myself, why didn't I question you? Why, why didn't I, yeah, why did I instantly just believe you? And he basically said, um, it's because I trust you. And because I trust you, I believe that you know where you are going. So even if you said, okay, we need to get off now, I was willing to just get off now and not to, and, and not to disagree with you. And he basically said that it reminds me of our journey with God that because we have a relationship with God, we don't need to know the way, but what matters is actually who is with us and it's God that is with us. And I just feel like that is just perhaps um, a beautiful analogy of how the Israelites must have been feeling at this particular moment in the desert place, where the Lord was leading them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I can imagine that perhaps they were thinking, when are we going to get there? Like perhaps feeling uncertain in terms of when is all of this going to end? 
or perhaps even feeling a sense of fear that any minute now, um, perhaps the Egyptians or some of our other enemies might attack us. But I feel like that picture of having the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of, um, the pillar of fire by night was something that just brought them great assurance that even though we don't know what this is gonna look like in a few more days, or we don't know the next step, because God is there, it brings us great assurance. And one way that the Lord gives us great assurance is in his peace. I love Colossians chapter three, verse 15 that says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Another translation said, let the peace govern your hearts. Let it be the main thing that anchors you. Let, let it be the main thing that literally dictates um, how you move, especially in this season. And if I was to go back to the story of the Israelites, this really just shows that despite what type of, and despite the time of day, or despite the season, pandemic or no pandemic, that God knows how to lead his people. And um, a few chapters later, I believe it's in Exodus chapter 16, there's also a really funny story um, about the Israelites as well. So the Israelites were in the wilderness, they had just, um, they have just fully been, they were just delivered from the Egyptians. And the Lord was leading them through the wilderness, but it got to a point where they were hungry. They literally complained to Moses, who was their leader, and said, Moses, like, have you brought us here to die? Have you brought us here to starve to death? Like, come on, Moses, what is going on? And the Lord said that he would send manna from heaven, he will send food from heaven to sustain them. And essentially, the Lord gave them clear instructions. The Lord said, the first five days of the week, I want you guys to go out each day and collect the food that you need, collect the manna, but do not store anything for, for the following day. Just literally collect what you need for that particular day. Um, but he said on the sixth day, collect enough for the sixth day and collect as well enough for the seventh day. Because I don't want you going out on the seventh day because the seventh day is the day of Sabbath. It's a day of rest. But however, the Israelites um, disobeyed this. The Israelites, on I believe in the first five days, actually tried to um, collect food for the following day. And as a result, the scripture tells us that they woke up the following morning and saw that maggots had infested their food and their food was just decaying and stuff. And what is really interesting is that the Israelites, the uncertainty of their future was greater than their certainty in God to sustain them. And what this looked like and how this translated was that they became hoarders. They became people who, who felt like, I need to take a lot. I need to take a lot of food and manna in order for us to be sustained and for our future, for the next coming days. And I feel like that's what the world is looking at right now. The world is looking, um, so we're literally in a world where everyone is hoarding supplies, food, toilet roll, in order to survive, perhaps due to their anxiety. And I believe that as a church, as, a children, as children of God, it's our responsibility to actually contradict that approach. And I believe that one reason why the Lord actually wanted them to go, especially in the first six days, to go out each day to collect the manna is because I believe that the Lord wanted to teach them, I can be your provider every single day. That I want you to constantly rely on me. I remember Jesus um, saying when he was tempted by, by the devil, he basically said, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So from everywhere that's presently coming from the mouth of God. So there's that essence of where we constantly rely on God the Father.
Now for me practically, what does this look like? So I remember when I started hearing about the coronavirus, I, in some aspect, I'm afraid to admit, but I, in some aspect, I became a hoarder and I became a hoarder of, of orange juice. When literally, I remember going to the shops and I was collecting so much orange juice and I was like, I need my vitamin C, I need my vitamin C, especially this season. I was collecting so much orange juice and um, and I literally, I felt so much um, pride that I could collect enough orange juice. And if I'm being honest, I was driven by fear. My fear was that if I didn't collect all this orange juice now, I'm going to come back um, later and not actually see any orange juice to, to drink and stuff. And, and, and even though perhaps it just seems like a little thing, I feel like it was something that God was just um, convicting me on. He was like, well, I don't want you to be afraid of not having orange juice to drink. As conquest as that sounds. But in Matthew chapter 6, it actually talks about this. In Matthew 6, verse 31, it says, So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. And we see that word again, seek, which means to strive after God. And many prophetic um, voices all over the world have echoed that God is using this quarantine season almost redemptively as a divine reset. And as one of my friends actually phrased it, he said, it's an opportunity to realign the rhythms of, of my heart, where God becomes the center of my affections and of my time again. And before we end, I would like us to just go back to Joel. And after Joel had prayed and the people of God repented and fasted, this is what the Lord responded to them. So verse two, um, so Joel two, um, verse 23 to 25, it says, Be glad, people of Zion. Rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the autumn's rains, because he is faithful. He sends you abundant showers, both autumn and spring rains, as before. The freshened floors will be filled with grain. The vats will overflow with new wine and oil. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. So essentially, the Lord is saying, that this swarm of locusts is going to come to an end and when it comes to comes to an end i love the scripture he says i will repay the years that the locusts have eaten i will give you everything back that has been stolen and that has been taken away from you and that the freshened floors will be filled with grain your resources will be replenished again and you will have so much food to eat and if we go a few verses later, in um, verse 28, Joel 2 verse 28, it says, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And we can see this to be true. We can see this reality because God poured out his spirit and every believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing that this was actually prophesied during a time of terror and during a time of lack and uncertainty. So essentially, what am I trying to infer? 
I'm trying to say that it doesn't end here. It's not going to end with Corona. There is a glory, there's a healing, there's a restoration that comes after heartache, lack and destruction. There's a resurrection after death. And I love the psalmist. This is what the psalmist says in Psalms 126 verse 5. It says, those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. I'll read that again. Those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. And there's something just about the nature of God that how he even uses um, negative circumstances of really dire situations and redeems it for his glory. And we can see that even in the, in the perfect picture of the cross, the resurrection, that death was not the end. And even in Acts, um, just for my final example, even in Acts, where Christians were being killed, where Christians were being persecuted, and as a result, they were forced to stop gathering in, in, their, in their large spaces, quite, quite similar to us. They had to stop their big corporate, corporate gatherings, and they were forced underground, and they were scattered. The Bible says that because they were scattered to different regions, it didn't shut down the church, but actually it grew the church where those people that were scattered, they started evangelizing, started sharing their faith and the church grew in number. Persecution was not the end. And I just feel honestly, I just feel like there's something that's happened. That's something that's happening that is so beautiful that such a huge number of churches um, are actually going online and they're almost in a sense forced to share and to disciple people over the internet, especially in a time like this where it is the digital age. And if we can see throughout scripture, throughout church history, that persecution, famine, pestilence, and so much more did not stop God's people and the church of Jesus Christ advancing, then it's the same for us today, that the invisible enemy is not the end, that it will not stop the church of Jesus Christ advancing. And I guess one thing I just want to encourage all of us is that God is not done yet. Yeah, let me pray for us. Yeah, Father Lord, thank you so much that you are present right here with us. And Father Lord, I pray that you just eliminate any fears in the name of Jesus. And Father Lord, even as a family, even as those who are part of the wider church, we just pray that right now for your deliverance power in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you that no virus is stronger than your healing and your redemptive power. So we pray just an end to the coronavirus. We just pray that boldly for the coronavirus to end, for there to just be a great deliverance over all nations, over all your people in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray that anything that has been lost, any, anything that yeah, has been taken away, I pray that you just redemptively just restore it in the name of Jesus. And Father, Lord, I pray that especially in this season that you just keep our hopes alive and you just really speak to us and convict us, especially to just spend more time with you and to use this time well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
Jesus, you change.